everyone. Welcome to the Shine a Light on series. Today we'll be shining a light on the path to DEI with Rahime. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Yes, thank you so much for being here. And today actually we're starting a series called How I Got Here, which is mm. very exciting. And Rahime was a huge influence on this new series um, to chat about her path to DEI specifically. So to start, can you give us a brief introduction to who you are, what you majored in college and how it led to where you are today? Absolutely. So I am a multi-ethnic. My father is an Iranian immigrant. My mother is of mixed white European ancestry. So multi-ethnic, but racially identify as white. Uh, Muslim woman who is visibly identifiable as Muslim as I wear hijab, though not all Muslim women wear the hijab. Um, And I work in diversity, equity, inclusion. Most recently, I have my own consulting business as a DEI practitioner. However, I have worked in the DEI space, uh, either like explicitly or implicitly. Some organizations might not call their work DEI, but I would really consider it that um, through nonprofits and consulting firms uh, since graduating with my master's in intercultural communication. What sort of experiences outside of school helped you get to where you are now? I think like a lot of job roles these days, DEI is not necessarily associated directly with a degree. So assuming listeners even went to college in the first place, or maybe they didn't, what what's helpful outside of school? Very true. And honestly, I don't think that book learning is mm, like book learning in the sense of going to college for it is necessary. If you do go to college, you can have a degree in the social sciences. I you know, my bachelor's and master's degrees are in the social sciences. So that has a very soft place in my heart. But honestly, I advocate for and a lot of DEI practitioners advocate for the idea that DEI, diversity, equity and inclusion work should be in all parts of all organizations, not any one industry, not any one function within an organization. So a lot of organizations keep DEI within HR or human resources. Uh, So if you work in human resources or aspire to, that's going to be like a little bit more of an obvious professional track. Uh, However, it's not impossible in any way. And again, I actually very much advocate for DEI being brought into any part of the organization. So if you like marketing, if you like sales, if you are into computers, like if you are into engineering, whatever the case may be, you can bring the lens of diversity, equity and inclusion into the work that you do. And hopefully like it should be. So if it's not you, then hopefully it's someone else. Um, As far as things outside of school that helps with this field is very much doing identity work, being very clear on your areas of privilege, your areas of disadvantage and marginalization and the intersections of that. So for instance, for myself, uh, it's very easy and for myself or for other people to get wrapped up in the headscarf that I wear as being like, oh, you are very visibly Muslim. My name is like a Persian Muslim hybrid, like Arabic hybrid, you know, I'm a, and I'm a woman. So I'm a Muslim woman. I, those are my areas definitely of marginalization. I also have ADHD and so on. However, I am very pale skinned, right? Very lacking melanin. I would say I, I intentionally don't use the word fair skin because I don't want to imply that um, being pale skinned is a positive. It just is. And, uh, and I have hazel eyes. So I know that there's a lot of privilege that I have in that under a white supremacy society and like culture that we very much live in that favors paler skin. 
I also am taller. I speak with an American accent. I was born and raised in California, so I'm a U.S. citizen. I am a citizen of the country in which I am residing. That is also a great level of privilege compared to my immigrant father, who, yes, is a citizen now, but he speaks with an accent on top of being Muslim, on top of being uh, having a Muslim name and so on. Right. So just having using that as an example, like a case study of how you can go about looking at your own areas of privilege. It's very important when we do this work, anyone who wants to do this work is very clear on the lenses through which you were raised so that you bring your identities, your sense of justice is going to be informed from your experiences of marginalization also and also your privilege. There's nothing wrong with having privilege. It's having to do with the systems of advantages and disadvantages that are at play in society that you were born into, that all of us were born into. However, recognizing where you do have privilege so that you can then learn and deconstruct those areas of privilege so that everyone has equitable access to all opportunities and care and anything that they wish uh, from society. And I want to break down your answer a little bit more, if you don't mind. In the first part, you mentioned that DEI work is often siloed into HR. And I feel like from my experiences, people in other parts of the company aren't necessarily motivated or influenced to have DEI top of mind. So let's say I'm like a software engineer or product manager or any anything else. What do you think are some things I can keep in mind. It's important to me, but it's not my job. So how do I prioritize in my day to day? If you are not, if you're listening to this and you're not in the working world yet, you will learn that the way anyone can get a promotion or change job responsibilities or level up their employment is by taking on something called stretch projects where you go to your manager or even if in you're in meetings you don't have to even do it necessarily with your manager and express interest in other parts of the business or other kind of like adjacent projects that are important to the business and that you have skills in and interest in or they need an extra pair of hands and you are ready to assist and there you are you're in the right place in the right time and as you get experience doing these things they're not technically under your job description but when the time comes for you to have a conversation with your manager about promotions or raises or so on, you're going to have the receipts to be like hey look at this project that I've done for the last three months or however long. Uh, this is the results that I got. You know, all of my coworkers are able to vouch for the fact that I'm really good at it and, you know, promote me or like make this more a part of my work. OK, great. So that's like how you can get additional responsibilities in any genre of work within the workplace. However, putting that into DEI. Something that I really want young professionals coming into the workplace for the first time and then also a lot of folks who don't work in DEI might not appreciate is that I've been in meetings and training calls with executives from major corporations where they're basically like complaining about their independent contributor, like IC level, entry level employees being mean to them at all hands meetings, <laughs> right? Like putting in the comments like, hey, why aren't we doing this? Sending feedback, criticizing performative allyship that are criticizing performative. Oh, you have a DEI statement, but you haven't done anything. Hey, this thing happened in the news and you said, oh, you know, our thoughts and prayers, but then you didn't do anything on and on and on. Like executives hear and listen to those things to director levels, your managers hear those things. And in the collective, the power of the collective of 
demanding this sort of attention, business leaders are listening. And as more and more people push for this, they're going to have to, whether they agree with it or not, whether they want to or not, like their customers, their clients, their employees, everyone is pushing for this inclusion, level of diversity, equitable access for folks, and just justice-oriented practices in general, right? So I just want to first amplify and like bring to your attention that you have a lot of power, even in just your one-on-one conversations or in Slack messages or Zoom meetings with um, with leaders, uh, putting in the comments and expressing your opinion, and especially in the collective, right? If you want to make DEI more of your work, it again, like the idea being, let's break it down. So diversity, The idea being that folks of different identity groups are represented in whatever project that you're working on. So if you're in engineering, you would have someone leading the project. You'd have maybe folks assisting with the project, doing different parts of the project. If you have a diversity of people working on that project, one, they're going to have different ideas. They're going to have different perspectives on how to get things done, which classically, when people ask for the business case for DEI, this is something that is really big on use for the business case is that, you know, people bring very innovative ideas and the combination of ideas brings very innovative ideas to the table. However, I would just say I personally do not like spending too much time, if any time on the business case, because it just feels really gross, like that I have to prove to you that diverse groups of people should be elevated or given equal opportunities and stuff like that. But however, I would just say like that there is that. So the services that you're able to offer to your clients, the products that you're able to offer to your customers are going to be so much more culturally responsive to all of the different cultures and identity groups of those customers and clients because you had people in the design of those products and services in the room designing them, right? So that's like diversity. We could go into more detail, but let's just say like for their diversity. Then you have inclusion. People say you have diverse folks in the room, but they might express an idea and people are like, oh, that's cool. And then don't do it. And then don't do it and don't listen to them. And they're not included. Okay. So does it really matter that their butt is physically sitting in that chair in the room or like, no, it doesn't because no one is listening to them. No one is incorporating their feedback on and on. So as an example for inclusion and then equity being who even has access to be able to come into the room and have their voice heard, right? For instance, if a company is only hiring from the top tiered schools in the country, then you are missing out on some really premier talent. As Mariah, you mentioned early on in the call, there's a lot of folks who are reconsidering whether college is even worth it. And that's an amazing thing to question. Like it is so much money, it is so much money. And honestly, there is so much that you could teach yourself either for free because you are really good at researching There are so many books, again, through libraries and stuff. There are research articles that you can access on your own. That's not my thing. So that's not my area of expertise. But I would say like it is definitely possible to teach yourself skills in most industries through other means that doesn't involve like having $150,000 or God knows how much debt for forever. Using that as an example, if companies are only hiring from even diverse quote unquote talent, which I don't like because there's no individual person that is diverse. Diversity is only in a group of people. If you look at a group of people, there are different kinds of people and that makes it diverse. An individual is not diverse on their own. That's just a code word for not white. If they only hire from those universities, then that means that you are missing out on a lot of talent and that is a lack of opportunity. That's a lack of equity. 
right? As one example, if someone I mentioned, I have uh, ADHD, if someone is neurodiverse and for instance, has ADHD and something with ADHD, some of us struggle with is focus and being very distracted. So if you insist that I sit at a desk where the phone rings all the time, and then you like punish me for not getting my work done, but I'm constantly getting interrupted. And I, you know, I have ADHD. I've asked you for reasonable accommodation so that I can concentrate. Do I actually have equitable access to opportunities and to promotions and to anything within this company? Because you're like actively getting in my way of being successful. So on and on and on, there's like a million different examples. And you within your sphere of influence can decide, okay, how do I influence who is hired? How are we retaining people? How do we involve people to make sure that they are included, that their feedback is being heard? Something, for instance, with women that has been brought up in the past. This was brought up in the Barack Obama staffing circle where a woman would offer a suggestion and no one would really pick it up. And then a man would offer the same suggestion and then everyone would be like, Oh my God, amazing. This is such a great idea. And so the women noticed that. And so they came up with the technique, which honestly, like one is great that they found a workaround to support each other, but two, it's like really pathetic that this was necessary. And so the idea is like the other women in the group would be like, Oh, I love what this person had to say. Let's hear about what this person had to say and like redirecting instead of a man taking credit for it. You yourself in whatever team you're in, whether in engineering, in marketing, in sales, in HR, what have you, you're able to do all of these things. I love that you highlighted sort of empowering yourself as an individual, but highlighting the collective as well, because I do think like every person, especially all together, has a lot of say toward business leaders. From my experiences too, ERGs or employee resource groups have been sort of like powerful factors too. Not necessarily the most diverse groups like within them individually, but when they're like events or announcements are spread like across a company, it can become like a, a good knowledge base for people who don't necessarily identify in a certain group. I'm very curious of your thoughts. They came to my mind as you were answering the previous question of mandatory DEI training, uh, which I'm sure you're familiar with because I've just been in situations where people are very open to it. And if everyone on the team is open and ready for it, then they always go smoothly. Um, but if, you know, if there's any sort of pushback, then the energy changes and it seems more like a chore. I would say just like most things, it really depends on the context of the company and what is the culture and what is, what are the things that they're struggling with? If an organization is already like further along in their DEI journey, that might work a little bit better. I'm not overly in love with the idea of mandatory trainings other than like what's legally required. That just brings a different energy of like being able to opt in versus like, oh, I'm being forced to do this. Like no one, none of us, I don't, you don't, no one wants to be forced into something that they're really just like, okay, I'll sit here. My butt will be in this chair. Or if it's a virtual training, like we've all been in virtual trainings for work. If you are a college student or, you know, a student in general at a college or not, you will have your time. Don't you worry. You will have to be forced into a training and you will just like click the little button and like get through the training, but you didn't actually retain any of the information. So 
yeah, I'm not overly in love with them. I wouldn't say I wouldn't ever do them, but it would definitely, as in most things with DEI, it really heavily depends on the company and their culture and what is it that they're really struggling with? What are the priorities for that company that they need to address immediately and in the long term? My thought is if they feel like a chore to do a training, then the same people who feel that way might think like considering DEI in their everyday work also feels like a chore, if that makes sense. So it's it's interesting. I don't know how to help those people exactly, but fortunately we have people like you working in this field. So moving on a little bit about the field itself and the job role, what what exactly is it? What is the DEI field and how can students take steps to actually enter it? So DEI as a field, the way it stands right now is kind of in two branches. There is working in DEI in a company internally, you are hired as an employee within a larger company. And then there's working as like an independent contractor, you own your own business or you like work under a solopreneur. So maybe like a team of three, for instance, like an incredibly small business. And there are pros and cons to both. I personally like clearly <laughs> prefer being an independent business owner um, for many different reasons that have a lot to do with like entrepreneurship in general being very attractive to me as a brand new college student. That's probably not going to be open to you if you want to work in DEI. You're going to need to have some experience within organizations because you are consulting businesses on how to be better at business. And if you've never worked at a business, that's going to be difficult. It's not impossible. I would love to be proved wrong. I would love to be proved wrong. I would hesitate. I would not encourage someone to like plan on that as like, I'm going to make a full-time income doing this right out of college. Not impossible. I wouldn't necessarily encourage it, especially if you have college level debt. Internally within DEI, there are branches of the company and especially again, under HR, it, it, it can look different, right? Like Mariah, you brought up ERGs, right? There's a lot of organizations that just have ERGs and ERGs are employee resource groups, identity-based groups that kind of help with the sense of belonging. Unfortunately, a lot of them can be very, um, not performative, but just like, here's our cultural day where we bring our food and we talk about our holidays. And that's very comfortable. It's very comfortable for people to be like, oh, I tried Persian food. I tried Mexican food. I tried Chinese food. And it was amazing. And we found like letter uh, calligraphy in the different language scripts and we put it on the wall and look, it's amazing. And we took pictures. Awesome. Like that can be incredibly performative if it's not backed up with like policy change and making sure that, again, people are hired and have an opportunity to be hired if they don't look like the right fit, which is incredibly problematic term. Hopefully you are looking for someone who is going to contribute and add to the culture and grow the culture and be innovative and not someone who's just going to fit into the box that you've already arranged for yourself, making sure that you focus on inclusion of diverse voices. And then at the same time, like that everyone has equitable access. So if you're just focusing on, um, oh, it's Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month. And so we had us, we hired a speaker for the ERG, specifically not even for the whole company, just for the ERG. Uh, that talks about like the model minority myth and then like for an hour and then leaves, like you don't get to say that that's enough. Like, no, 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 no. Like it's not nothing, but don't give yourself that much credit. <laughs> um, so within companies like, so yeah, you can work with the ERGs a lot of, unfortunately I wouldn't, 
a lot of ERG uh, staff are not paid. It's their employees in other parts of the organization. And then they like volunteer to help with the ERG, which for me is incredibly problematic. It's like, this is a job. Someone is being paid. They're providing value. They're probably taking time outside of their normal work hours to do this work for a company, for a for-profit company, and then they're not being paid. That is incredibly problematic. So that would be a red flag for me, honestly, if I wanted to join a company uh, and they weren't paying their ERG leaders apps or any of their staff who are who's doing labor. Uh, you can work again within HR. There might be a department or one or two, a team of people doing diversity, equity, inclusion programming or working in hiring. Recruiters can have DEI training uh, if you want to. And then there's a, of course, a chief diversity officer, but that's an executive level person who sits on the C-suite. <laughs> and that that's going to be like a couple decades into your, into your career. So, but that is definitely, uh, you know, a position that exists. So as of right now, there aren't a lot of entry level positions that explicitly have the name DEI, but in effect, you can make it on your resume as you like progress in your career. You can name that you were doing DEI work. It just wasn't called that. Right. For instance, right. Like I mentioned at the beginning when I introduced myself that I've been working in DEI since I graduated from my master's program. However, DEI wasn't in my title the whole time. But if I were to explain to myself or other people what I was doing, it's all DEI work. The company just didn't consider it that, right? Especially like in the nonprofit space, they don't do as much things that they would call DEI, but like it is. I would also very much add to do a lot of self-reflection on how you like to work in general. And this is good advice for anyone, honestly. in any career move that you might have, but definitely in DEI. DEI is incredibly difficult work, especially if you have marginalized identities doing this work, you are going to have people who look you in the face and say, I don't think that's a thing. I don't think, I think you're making this up. You deserve it. Like who are going to say like really problematic, racist, Islamophobic, whatever have you, ist comments to you. They're going to leave feedback in surveys. It's difficult work. It's heavy. It's taxing. It's not go to work, clock in, do your things, move papers around, send some emails and then leave. And if you don't want to do that work, then that's great. Like know that ahead of time. But if you are invested in changing the world in this way, there are many ways to change the world. However, if you are invested in wanting to do it this way, I would say making sure that you have a very clear idea as much as possible. And like you're going to learn and grow over time. The answer may change over time and it probably will. How you like to work. A lot of people think of DEI work as being very uh, public facing. So someone who is public speaking, someone who's giving trainings, someone who is leading meetings, stuff like that. And that, of course, does exist. But if you are someone who prefers to work behind the scenes, who doesn't like public speaking, there absolutely are spaces and roles for you as well. Um, And I don't want you to be discouraged by the fact that like I I identify as an introvert, um, but I'm like a chatty introvert. (laughs) I will go be exhausted in my room later on and like need to zone out and not talk to anyone and scroll on my phone for a few hours to like recuperate. But I am very chatty and very much a talker. However, that not everyone is like that and they don't want to public speak. Great. So don't feel discouraged that the only way you see people working in DEI is as very public facing roles and capacities. It's 
obvious because it's the public facing and you are seeing it from the public eye. There are people working behind the scenes doing amazingly impactful, important work. And it's just you're not seeing them because they purposely want to work behind the scenes. I'm curious, going back to you and your experiences, what are some of your favorite parts of working at DEI? And you may have just listed them, but what are some challenges or, or least favorite parts? My favorite part is speaking with other DI practitioners who are committed to the work, who are committed to learning. We're all going to make mistakes. I'm going to make mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. It's not about preventing like, oh, if only I can get good enough or learn enough or whatever, then I won't make mistakes. You absolutely will make mistakes. I will make mistakes the rest of my life. So embracing that and being in community with other folks who embrace the fact that they're continuously learning and they want to learn. They're open to feedback. They're open to giving feedback just again, as well as I very much try to be as well interested about learning about other identity groups and really committed to this work. Like when you are passionate about anything, anything and you meet someone else who's passionate about the same thing and you guys just like your energies collide it's like a beautiful beautiful thing like and i love having conversations with people one-on-one anyway so for me that's definitely my favorite part i've had a number of conversations even just this week with people that i've never met in person i'm really big like i participate a lot on social media especially linkedin and tiktok and i've met a lot of really amazing people doing amazing, amazing work and hopefully, you know, expose them to the work that I'm doing and my messages and just feeding into each other and like pouring into each other is so nice and like heart healing, if you will. <laughs> if you will. Uh, the most difficult would definitely be having people look you in the face and say, I don't think that's a thing. Prove it to me that you're oppressed or prove it to me that this matters. In my work, I very much make a point of not taking on clients that emphasize the business case of DEI or I'm not sure if racism is a thing. I'm not sure if Islamophobia is a thing. Like, no, no, no. You need to know that those are things already. And if you need help figuring out how to do something about it, then okay, okay, that's when I come in. But if you're like on the fence, if that's even a thing, then like you're not ready for me, right? That is, that's, and that's why I don't want to work with clients because that is like the most difficult thing in the world. Like, how do I convince you to care about human beings? Not just like me as a Muslim, as a woman, as someone with ADHD or so on, like also for other groups. What about black folks? What about Latinx folks? <laughs> what about poor folks or working class folks? Like on and on, like all these different identity groups that like all deserve understanding and care and equity and inclusion and all of these things. Like, how do I like speak into your soul that that matters? I don't, I honestly don't know. Like, why doesn't it matter to you? Like, why do I have to tell you about it? Moving on from the challenges and maybe this is related to, but what do you wish the world knew about working in DEI? Kind of like what I was going back to. It doesn't have to be consulting. It doesn't have to be public speaking. This isn't a trend. This isn't the newest, latest, hottest thing that's going to exist for a couple of years and then it's going to go away. I know, especially in 2020, 2021, when diversity, equity, and inclusion as a field definitely got a boost in popularity and awareness because of the murder of George Floyd. A lot of people who had never called themselves DEI practitioners, public speakers, what have you, all of a sudden like tacked that on to their work or said that they were going to start doing that work. And it's not that it's, it's not that people can't join the field, right? I don't want to like gatekeep or be like, no, at, as of like January, 2020, that's when the gate closed and no one can join after that. But just the performative nature of seeing this as 
oh, this is a trend that people care about. So in order to jump on the bandwagon, I'm just going to tack this onto my name, especially if you are someone with an incredible amount of privilege. Um, that is incredibly problematic and part of white supremacy. And, you know, you, I really highly, please, please don't do that. Also, in addition, like if you are from a company and seeing things as like, is this going to be something that I'm going to need to invest in long term? I personally believe that absolutely it is. It's not going to be something that people overall are going to get tired of talking about because when you look at studies that have measured what millennials, Gen Z, and I think uh, Generation Alpha after us, I, I identify as a millennial and I have so much respect and like awe of Gen Z. I admire them so much and I'm inspired by them daily. When they study what these generations care about, diversity and inclusion as just like a social norm, not just in business, is something that is a core, core tenant of their values. And they don't care to like wait around for the baby boomer Gen X leadership to get with the program. They're like, nope, you've had your time and we're not waiting around for you to like give us permission to be ourselves. We're not asking you to be nice to us. We're going to go find somewhere else to be. And that's where, if you've heard of the great resignation, that's where in the last year and a half or so, maybe two years by now, um, a lot of people, a lot, a lot of people have been quitting their jobs because it's like, nope, I don't like how you're treating me. And I would rather be unemployed and figure things out financially than be dealing with this kind of treatment. Do you have any last words of wisdom for students or non-students listening interested in DEI work? Absolutely. So this is something also I want to offer to college students or anyone in that age range. Professionals who are older than you or ahead of you in their careers love helping college students. By and far, they love helping college students. If you reach out to do informational interviews, which if you don't know what an informational interview is, please go over to Google, type in what is an informational interview, how to do an informational interview. You will find all the information you need to learn about fields that you want to enter, especially around DEI. I know like for myself, I'm really active on LinkedIn. Even if you just put up a profile and like some details about who you are and what you're about so that the person you're reaching out to can go and see who you are that's reaching out to them. Reach out to folks on LinkedIn. You can find them through keywords, through search, right? Anyone who is of this age, I presume, knows how to use a search engine, right? Um, you can find folks working in DEI through their keywords. Reach out to them. Uh, if you send um, a bunch of messages, probably about 30 to 20% will respond. And then you can uh, book appointments with them to like just 15 minutes, just 20 minutes. Like, Hey, I'm a college student. I'm learning about diversity, equity, and inclusion as a field. Could I have just 15 minutes of your time? Some of them will respond. Some of them won't. Please don't try Like try not to feel too bad about the ones who don't respond. It's usually because they're very busy. It really isn't because they like hate you. It's they're just busy. Like everyone is really busy. Your message may have gotten buried. That way you're learning about the field of what is it actually like in the day to day before you go through all the work of putting your resume together, going on interviews, getting the interviews, like getting the job, then you get in the job and then you realize a couple months in like, oh my gosh, I hate this. So instead of doing all of that work and then finding out that you hate it and then having to switch jobs, which is such a pain in the butt, you know, doing some informational interviews for people who are doing the work now to say, hey, you know, this is the job that I'm interested in. What is it actually like to do this on a day to day basis? Right. Um, because there's a lot going into the day to day of any job. Again, any job, whether it's DI or not, uh, that you're not going to find in a college class and also something. So 
at least for my college, the uh, career center was not very good, at least for my major, for social sciences, maybe I think for business and for like tech majors, they were much better. But for social sciences, the career counseling center was definitely not of good, like not good quality. So alternatively, I turned to my professors for advice on like how to look for jobs or how to like set myself up to be competitive in the job market and all of that. And I would say that that is not a good idea, <laughs> which is why I struggled in a really big way once I graduated and tried to enter the working world. If you, you can go to a professor for career advice, if you want to be a professor. Being a professor is a job. Your professors are good at being professors, hopefully, right? And they can give you advice on being professors. Unless they work in industry, they don't know respectfully what they're talking about as regards to getting a job in industry. Go to people for advice on doing the things that you want to do who are actually doing the things that you want to do, right? Don't go to someone who's not doing what you want and then asking them for advice. And I do this, unfortunately, I've had to like learn you know, to respectfully turn down or like respectfully not take and not offend like family members who are like, hey, I think you should do this or I think you should do that. And I'm like, awesome. Thank you. I appreciate that you love about me. You care or you love me. You care about me. You want me to be successful. I see what you're offering me as advice is like you showing me love, but respectfully, you don't know. <laughs> Thank you again for joining me, Rahime. It was, it was great chatting with you. Thank you so much for having me. It is absolutely a pleasure. Please feel free to reach out to me all in on LinkedIn. I'd be more than happy to do an informational interview with you all if anyone wants to. Awesome. And to anyone tuning in, thank you for joining us. As always at Opal, we shine brighter together and we'll see you next time.